There are another two of these in the fridge, but there's also another two of these in the fridge that aren't ours. Could have just had them. I freely admit I'm someone who steals from public... uh, Steals beers. Fridges, like in office spaces or whatever. I don't respect other people's food or drink. That's fucked up, man. What the hell? It is what it is. Actually, I respect private property. I'm a, I'm a respecter of property rights. Okay. That one's for the old fans. I remember our old studio. That's true. Mm. Yum, yum. James. Raphael. East Sydney Brewing, family owned. Yep. The pale ale, it's nice. It's really nice. It's I a like good pale ale. It's yeah, a yeah. really good pale ale. They've done a great job with that. That's about 50 metres from where we're recording. Wow, Do the math. doxing us. Yeah. <laughs> Do the math. How's, how's your week been, mate? <laughs> it's been fine, yeah. Just been raring to get back in the studio and make more beautiful content. I mean, there's so much that happens every day. Everything happens, yeah, yeah. All the well, time. Well, you were literally just saying to me that every day is different to the next. Mm. I thought that was very insightful. Yeah. <laughs> I said every day is a new day. Well, that's what you said. That's every right. day is a new day. Yeah. Every day is a new day. Yeah. And you're damn right, mate. Yeah. You're damn right about yeah, that. Yeah. Q&A app. I love these episodes. Yeah, no, we haven't done one in a very long time. To our detriment, because mm. they, always, they always pop off. People tend to like them a lot. Um, and it's because we have such insightful listeners. Yeah. They always ask such interesting questions of us. The questions are spectacular. I don't know exactly the ones that you've curated, but having a look through some of the questions that were asked, they are good questions. Yeah. When the meeting tree puts the call out, mm. there are often some very good questions, but I'd but. say it's a 50-50 ratio, whereas with this, it's probably 90-10. Mm. Woe upon he who is in the 10 for down round. Yeah. And you'll know because your question hasn't been answered. <laughs> That's um, not true. Some it, of them we're probably going to get to with full episodes on. That's right. Yeah, there's a few. There's a there's a few full episodes coming. So mm. don't don't be too down if we haven't got to you. Yeah, because you may be the subject of an entire episode. Yeah. So in fact, you're in the one percent. Yep. You know, you're not in the. Don't worry, you're not in the ten percent shit ones. You could be in like the ten percent of the the best ones. Yep. Good call. And you just have to keep listening for the next several years in order to find out. Yeah, totally. It could be, who knows, twenty four months. Four years, five years. Mm-hmm. We've got a really long content runway at Down Round. Oh, yeah. The calendar is full. That's, it is booked mm-hmm. until 2027. We've got things to say. That's it. All right. Hit me. Without further ado, first question comes from Vince Rugari. What happens with threads now? Will the people who are still on there develop enough brain damage quickly enough for their posts to be good? Mm. Or is it just another Google Plus? I think this is a good accountability question because for those who listened to our threads episode a few weeks ago two weeks ago mm-hmm. i was popping champagne corks yeah raf was very bullish on threads i did say we'll see how this plays out yeah you called it a dub a w for meta i still think it's a w for meta yeah yeah, yeah. the thing i forgot to mention in, in the list of w's for meta is also love their open source ai stuff that's a big w anyway um as things have played out so the most recent figures i saw the big number was 100 million people signed up, making it the quickest to 100 million users ever. 
they're down to about 13 million daily active users from that peak. I know they're two different like metrics, but and I think there's kind of two ways of looking at this. One is, oh, everyone's lost interest and didn't get what they wanted out of the app, which may be true. Mm. Two is like 13% retention rate. That's not bad. That's not bad. It was like 30 million a few days ago. If 30 million daily active users kind of plateaued, I'd actually say that was a, a win, like a 30% retention rate. Down to 13 mil, I think we'll probably know more literally in a month. I would say it's probably still a win. They, they're suffering from that huge amount of hype that happened in the first week. Um, yep. So that like the the chart now looks pretty bad. Alternatively, if you're like, oh yeah, Meta released a, a Twitter clone and a month in or whatever, they'd have 13 million daily active users. I think you'd say that's probably pretty good, but it doesn't have the features, right? Like the features aren't there. This, you're still going to get more engagement on Twitter for the most part. So... And if you're a power user who's generating a lot of content, not having a desktop version or a web version seems to be... I, I personally don't use Twitter on my laptop. I don't have Twitter open during the day, but it seems like a lot of power users, i.e. the ones who are creating the content, do. Do you have... You probably have Twitter just open, wouldn't you? Yeah, five <laughs> I do use it on the desktop, yeah. Mm. I just think don't think it's really made a compelling case mm. for why people should stay on there. If you, I just had a look at it while you were talking tuning out while you were, what you were saying i'm sure it was great i'm sure what you were going on about was really was really smart but i was just scrolling my threads feed mm. um you're doing a vibe check just doing a quick vibe check to see what the what the go was mm. um most of the posts on there are kind of about threads which is not yeah that's always terrible that's not where you want to be it's definitely like more of a graveyard because here's the thing one is what we talked about the other week and what vince, vince was alluding to with his question which is that the people Instagram users that have been, you know, onboarded onto threads don't really know what to make of this platform. Mm. He expressed this in the not being brain damaged enough. Mm. And I think there's there's truth to that. These people don't know, like, the language of, like, that kind of text-based shitposting meme stuff. Yeah, yeah. The way you respond to things. Like, it's a whole app of the people who, like, reply to Lady Gaga on Twitter or whatever. Yeah, yeah. With just, like, brain-dead comments. Mm-hmm. That's just what the, the app is. And like, I don't think it's even really kicking goals on that ground basis either. Oh, look, they've got a huge basis to do it. Mark Zuckerberg kind of didn't post on there for like seven days straight, yeah. which is never a good sign as well. Well, he's not a poster as we've No, no we've been there. But and like, say what you will about Elon Musk. Yeah. But he's a bad poster, but he does post. He does post a lot. And then one of the reasons he bought Twitter is because he was personally obsessed with it. Yeah. The, the vibes on, on threads are, are pretty rank. They can definitely bounce back from this and like, Calibrate, add some features, bring it in. Here's the X factor, though, for threads. This is the the bull case for threads is Elon Musk is not finished with Twitter yet. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the reason that threads actually popped off in the first place is people were looking for a place that's not Twitter to go. Yep. Not enough people at this stage. And, you know, as I said, like at the end of the day, if you're posting something, you're going to post at the place where you think people are going to see it. Right now that's Twitter, yep. uh, as in text. But Elon Musk could really... You know, already like limiting the amount of DMs you oh, can yeah, send yeah. a day, for example. Threads obviously doesn't have DMs at all no, or, or search. It still doesn't have any of these features. But were that to be integrated, something like that could drive people to ch- move their Twitter group chat to Threads group chat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As yep. in like there is a long period of time for Elon to destroy Twitter more, yeah, whereas yeah. Threads is probably only going to get better. Yeah, like potentially. Actually, there's a, something that happened that I saw that is relevant to that. I saw like one of the Threads designers on Threads talking with someone in a random 
thread mm. where someone was like, can we get DMs on threads? Mm. And the, this designer or product manager, whoever it was, uh, replied like, oh, it's not coming. And the person was like, why? And he was like, well, we didn't really know how to handle, we don't know how to handle DMs because we've already got DMs on Instagram and we also have Messenger and we also have WhatsApp. Yeah. So it was like, what's the point in us adding another layer? And then if we introduce kind of like a merge DM with Instagram, yeah, is yeah. that going to like fuck all of that? Anyway, he had like this long explanation. And when I was reading it, I was like, well, what are you doing? Like, what is your actual plan for any of this? Yeah, yeah. Aside from like, oh, we had to leap in and grab the opportunity of Elon Musk stuffing up, you know, rate limiting. Yeah. Basically, the point is like, I look at this thing and I'm like, I don't know who it's for. It's all a bit directionless. Yes, they might find a direction at some point. They're going to keep adding features. They're going to work it out. But at the moment, it's like, I don't think you're giving people a compelling reason to post there unless it's like having a temper tantrum because of what Elon Musk is doing to Twitter. Yeah, or, yeah, which isn't enough. Or if you're an Instagram person who like likes this format, I think evidence 30 million people shows that that does imply that, what is it, like 87 million people Logged on. Logged on. I had to like, click around. And we're like, like, not for me. Not for me, yeah. Which, you know, in terms of percentages, maybe that's fine. Mm. But just in raw numbers of 87 million people looking at it and being like, nah. Yeah, I'm going to stick with, I mean, I don't really have the option. And I think it would also be foolish to start flip-flopping around. I'll still stick with my two years, whatever. So it's like one year and nine months time, it'll be bigger than Twitter. Okay. Is that because but Twitter of, specifically? Is it, I was going to say, is that threads going up or is that Twitter going to zero? No, that, I'm saying an entity named Twitter. <laughs> It'll be bigger than. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. All right, it's a yawning exit you've given yourself there. Cool. Second question from Tommy: Thoughts on the proposed measures to quote combat misinformation and disinformation, particularly given its potential application to podcasts, and then in brackets, Dan Rand could never be accused of such behaviour. I agree, Toby. Everything we say is true. Mm-hmm. Even on things that we don't know, know anything about. Know anything about and we're just sounding off. Yeah. We're directionally correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The vibe's right. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is getting into more like political sort of conversation rather than a technological one. But I think most efforts to like fight disinformation and misinformation, quote unquote, are just like doomed and don't really work. Mm. It's a political project from the ground up. You need to decide what, like, constitutes that. What's, I think what truth is. Yeah, what, what, that's, that's a big, you know, people have been chipping away at that one for a while. Mm. Obviously, this became a huge thing during COVID. You know, that was, like, the big test for that kind of stuff. Is yeah. like, what do you let people post about? Well, it, de- it definitely got into issues because there were things like they were stopping the mis- misinformation slash disinformation of, People were saying the vaccine doesn't stop peer-to-peer transmission or whatever. And, like, they were like, that's disinformation. But, like, it's actually true. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah. Sound, It's definitely aligned with, like, anti-vax and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like the vaccine doesn't stop people spreading it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, the, <laughs> You're going to get us <laughs> marked on Spotify. No, no, I know, right? Like, <laughs> sorry, COVID's real. Like, like, stipulating, like, <laughs> vaccine, it does work, all of that things. Like, it makes yeah, us yeah. all you – know, uh, so I can't even joke now. This is the thing. You can't even <laughs> – You can't bloody tell jokes anymore. I, I can't be ironic about this stuff. No, no. But you know what I mean? Things like that, the nuances – it, no, no, I mean, I, like, I mean, the reason I brought up COVID because it was like the biggest test of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And all it did was piss everyone off, mm. make people more angry and more resentful of the government or whatever. Mm. You know, every time a government tries to set up like a disinformation bureau, quote unquote, <laughs> yeah. 
I don't think this stuff is is really going to work. And I think it was. I think. I think. You know what? It was a zero interest rate phenomenon. (laughs) Being caring a lot about this information, putting that into the ZERP category. I think honestly, one of the best like systems I've seen so far is Twitter's community notes. Is yeah, and I know that like a crowdsourcing or whatever. Disinformation. I can see that going wrong as well. Yeah, and, it, and it, don't get me wrong; it does go wrong on Twitter. Like, <laughs> occasionally, you'll see one where you're like, mm, "Okay, uh, you know, that's been vote swarmed into becoming displayed or whatever." Yeah, but it, you know, at least on the grounds that like you see them pop up on like ads for mobile games. Yeah, where it's like the game doesn't correspond with the ad. Yeah, um, it's a tough one. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm generally. It's not that I'm like morally opposed to the idea of like cracking down on it in mm. some capacity. It's just, I don't think it really works, um, and it just pisses people off, and it's very hard to litigate or police or whatever. Well, yeah, and this is the thing: like Meta are asking the government to basically regulate them into what content should and shouldn't be allowed. They say so. They say the government like won't do that because it's a massive minefield. And the flip side is everyone is like kind of asking Meta, you should be, you know, or whatever the social media platforms, like you should be cracking down on moderating hate speech and yeah, disinformation, misinformation, blah, 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 I guess is what we're talking about now. I think I said this on a really early down round. Like my position is actually similar to Zuckerberg's in this, in that I actually don't think it should be up to Meta and Twitter, et cetera, to like draw the line on what should and shouldn't be published on their platform. I mean, they can, don't be wrong, like they have every right to do that if they want. But like, if you're talking about the biggest platforms for communication in the world being these private companies who, who they're the ones who make the decision on what can and can't be said, that feels a little weird to me. Yes, I think they should definitely have a responsibility to keep illegal stuff off their platforms, basically. That should basically be their job. If it's illegal, it gets kept off their platforms. So it is up to then the government or governments, or jurisdictions to make laws as to what is and isn't shown. And that's going to piss people off as well because, yeah, you can have countries saying you're not allowed to criticise the government, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and then that's illegal. Well, yeah. And then Facebook or whatever has to enforce that and then people get pissed off because they're enforcing that in a different country, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so yeah. It's a, basically, moderation is a tough nut to crack. It's a tough it always to has crack. been. It's they the dawn should, of time. Yeah, it's the dawn of time. I think that, again, I've said this before, they have the resources to do better, especially at CSAM, violent videos and things they can do better and they can do better simply by employing more people and paying them more money. Maybe we don't need to have an internet where anyone's allowed to upload something and then distribute it to a million people without anyone signing off. Maybe there should be a delay. Maybe everything should be um, Everything should be on delay. Okay. That's the downround <laughs> stance. Efforts to combat like misinformation, disinformation, government, social media, we're against it. But at... at 10-minute delay on everything yeah. you click post on. Yeah, because there's a, there's a team of 150 million moderators. Yeah, moderators are t- the truck drivers of the future. Yeah. Everyone is a mod. Yeah. If everyone's a mod, then who is a mod? Without yeah. mods, the internet stops. <laughs> Hopefully that answered your question. Or at, least, <laughs> at the very least made you much more confused. That's, that's the two things you want to attempt to do. From JD Fortune on Twitter. With commercial tech companies doing mass layoffs, defense tech firms are positioning themselves as suitors for their talent, Mm. citing meaningful, purposeful, and stable work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is this legit, or are they just shifting the exploitation of people's psyche to shameless warmongering? Well, that's a a heavy question. I can answer, like, in, in general about what's kind of going on there. So, history lesson. We've talked about this on a couple of episodes, actually, but the history of Silicon Valley 
the roots of it are in basically def- the defense industry. Mm-hmm. Like the early developments in microchips and whatever were basically so they could miniaturize the control systems and whack them on missiles. Like that is where a lot of this stuff comes from, like Fairchild Semiconductor, et cetera, et cetera. But then for a long period throughout like the 90s and 2000s, as like Silicon Valley had like its big tech moment and consumer tech became the thing and the thing that everyone wanted to get into, it suddenly started becoming a little bit passe for people that were like tech brains to like go into work in the defense industry and mm. like work on missiles and cluster munitions and what have you. Obviously, people still do, but there became there was a bit of like a divorce between defense industry and the tech industry. That also that manifested in uh, you know Microsoft and Amazon have always had really big problems internally when they try to do Department of Defense contracts. You know there was a big tender that went out to like basically run the cloud system mm-hmm. for the Pentagon. And, you know Microsoft and Amazon were going for it, and then there was other some other ones, and then there was Google also was up for a bunch of defense work, and then there was a lot of internal anger from like basically their staff being like we shouldn't work on basically weapon systems or yeah. things that support weapon systems. Anyway, this is all of this is to say is that like this is actually changing a bit. I think it's possibly just like a new generation of like young software developers don't have aren't as allergic to working on defense stuff. So yeah. there's a lot of like tech companies that are popping up within the industry, like that are very much in the tech world and not the defense world necessarily. Yeah. Like Anderl is one of them. I mean, there's a few other ones that uh, are very like tech forward, but are very much like-, like Palantir is yeah, kind I mean, of like seen as a tech company that's very much focused on what policing and military kind of yeah. data and information. Yeah, so they're, yeah, they're basically like exactly like big surveillance data for like those sort of clients. Mm. Um, but, you know, some of them like Parmalaki, Anderl, they do like drones and shit. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. I think that's kind of like the driving thing here. I don't think it's so much the layoffs that are making this happen. It's just that like there's been like a bit of a vibe shift in terms of like if you're like a young programmer who might be someone who would go work for Facebook, there's more of that, that kind of guy who's going to work for like some sort of defense aligned. Well, yeah, thing. and I also think that the early days of tech, not the early days, I mean, even like the early 2000s of the big tech companies that we know now of Google and Facebook of the like wear a T-shirt to work and get free food and it's all like a chill, like happy vibe and we're doing something good and big. That was the whole thing, connecting the world's information or connecting like every person in the world together to create like a more liberal free world or whatever. Like that facade has kind of been pulled off. You're not, you're now not like some kind of utopian moralist for working in a tech company on something that's good for the world. You're just working for a massive corporation that like it's neither. It's just an amorphous thing, like yep. multinational. And so you're looking for someone who's going to pay you well and doesn't really matter if it's friggin' Google or Raytheon, as well as the fact, yeah, America spend $900 billion a year on defense, US, US dollars, so $1.5 trillion Australian a year on like their military industry. And, and it goes up every year without fail, you know? There's a lot of money splashing around and so there's a lot of highly paid jobs. And as you say, like people are just want a highly paid job and so they'll go to whoever pays them especially if you're in just some like but you're so far removed from building the bullets you're working like you would at any other software company on like a minuscule part of some massive stack that does one particular function i don't think people feel the morals or whatever but you are you do seem to be right there's like a shift it would be it would have been completely on the nose had me or any of my friends after uni gone to work for lockheed martin 
but that does seem to have gone. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't think it's to do with layoffs. A little bit, yeah, yeah. I think it's just cash. Oh, cash, baby. Cash and you're not a hero for working at like a tech company anymore either. Yeah. There's also like this real shift but in a lot of, again, talking about this new generation of people. You know, Anderson Horowitz, one of their funds that they put out is like the American Dynamism Fund. Yeah. Where it invests in like military, infrastructure, transport. The idea being that it's like there's this new trend of people that are like, you know, I'm not working in software. I'm working on like real problems. How do we like do logistics on a massive scale? Mm. You know, how do we do drone warfare? Like stuff that's like, I'm having a real impact on the world and I'm not just like building shop fronts. Yeah. Put whatever moral quality you want on that. There's definitely a lot of people that sort of think that way. And I think that's where a lot of this comes from. There is no ethical consumption. Under capitalist, that's very true. Yeah. Um, except this. East Sydney Brewing, family owned since some date. Just to be clear, we don't actually get paid by East Sydney Brewing. No. no. <laughs> we, we paid for these. No, exactly. Cool. This question is from Tim. If VR is a bust... What is the next big thing for gaming? Generative AI shit, etc. I do reject the premise. I think I think VR is inevitable at some point for gaming. Yeah. Although I put the the timeline for that back and back and back based on the fact that like nothing seems to be sticking in terms of like when this is actually going to happen. PlayStation or Sony released like the PSVR two. They flagged it ahead of time, like they announced it like a year ahead of it dropping. Got a lot of like big blockbuster games that they came out with it. This is their, obviously their second crack at doing mm. VR. By all accounts, it's good. I haven't actually used one, but you know people like it. it has sold basically nothing, and already they're kind of like moving on and talking about other stuff. Mm. As we talked about, the Apple headset gaming is not emphasised there. Meta has like completely turns its, its, its public attention to AI and away from, like, the metaverse, at least for now. And there's rumours that Meta have cancelled the Quest Pro and the Quest Pro 2 have been canned. They're, like, expensive headset. So, yeah, I totally agree that all of that is bearish on VR and VR for gaming. But, like, again, 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think it's inevitable. Once people are more accustomed to the idea of using AR and VR and putting things on their head for more day-to-day activities then, like, that's when it will work and you can crouch somehow. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like, social innovation and, like, development there that has to happen. Oh, just hand tracking and all of that. Like, you need to be yeah. able to control things better. It's completely uh, abstracted to have something on your face that you're immersed in and then hold something on your hand that you can't see in the virtual world. You're in two states at, at once. You're in the virtual environment, but then you have to somehow abstract away the fact that in your hand is like a, is a friggin' PlayStation controller or a joystick or whatever it is, and that's not in the game. So it doesn't work. Like, yeah, it's yeah. still just a big screen wrapped yeah. around your head. There's a lot of technological stuff to get through. Every time they do a new release, I find myself thinking, like, God, we're as far away from this actually being the default mode of how games are played yeah, yeah, than, yeah. than we were, like, 10 years ago or whatever. But, yeah, as for the, the generative AI side of it, 100% that stuff is coming down the pipeline. Yeah. And, like, you know, you, you know that the big gaming companies are looking at how they can integrate it. On the, the first level, just, like, not even really in-game, but um, a lot of the massive developers are, like, looking at how can we integrate basically something like ChatGPT or, like, a, a customised version of an LLM or something into, like, how we write games. Because, you know, <clears throat> it's one thing to write a TV show or a movie, but when you're writing, like, I don't know, a big 
role-playing game or something, there's a lot of dialogue that's got to get written mm. of just, like, shopkeepers being like, good day, sir, when you walk past them and shit like that. Well, and so many side quests and all of these yeah, yeah. kind of things. So I know, like, Ubisoft is, you know, the French developer, one of the biggest video game companies in the world. They released some internal tool for their writers that's, mm. like, helps them write that kind of stuff. Like, the hundreds of thousands of lines of dialogue that get put into any given big open world game or whatever so there's that level of it but then the other side of it is like how do they make it work in the sense of you have completely unique emergent stories that come out of your game like it's running an llm within the game yeah yeah and you can you know sub, uh, i don't know talk- npcs will like develop kind of personality like yeah. weird personalities and they'll give you quests that are like emergent and develop that aren't written by someone but kind of just happen naturally via like AI mm. that stuff is probably coming pretty quickly I mean you know they definitely work on it the only problem yeah. is that like there are two big concerns one how do you run that is there a way that you can run it that doesn't involve pinging you know, an API ping, yeah, it's got to be locally run it's got to be locally run on some level or mm. at least so efficient with like whatever the next generation is that they can do it from a server mm. not a problem and the other side of it is like how can you do that in a way that like maintains the identity of your game a little bit. Yeah, like yeah. if you were in playing, I don't know, the next Elder Scrolls, like Skyrim game or whatever, and there was like a quest which developed the game didn't write, like it came out of an AI and it would just like completely did not align with like the rest of yeah. the game's tone. But, or- uh, they, they would have to restrict it to like, I can see it initially being just certain NPCs like the shopkeeper you're talking about have just... A, a wider variety of dialogue options rather than like yeah, actually yeah. changing the gameplay and stuff. You're able to kind of develop back and forth and they remember what you've said and remember and are able to respond to what you're wearing in a more kind of varied way, yeah, yeah, yeah. what have you, without it actually impacting the game. I feel like, and you can, you know, way more about this than I do, but my understanding also is that there's a bunch of work going on into the so much work in a big open world computer game or even not is on like people developing just small details of, like, this massive environment yep. from, like, trees and yeah, like, yeah, this, exactly. that, and the other. But having – using AI to, like – like, generative AI to kind of create – Create assets, yeah. That's – totally. The new, um, like, Unreal Engine from Epic Games contains a lot of, like, generative sort of stuff where it's, like, you can create, like, a tiny little – section of land with some trees on it like some trees some rocks that you're trying to build like a landscape and then you basically get it to extrapolate it's almost like the the photoshop the photoshop autofill but for like 3d landscapes Mm. and like that is in unreal now basically yeah Um, which should mean cheaper development costs and like bigger worlds basically you'll see it manifest in just like labor saving stuff for the the studios first and then maybe you'll see some of that cool, I don't know, AI stuff. It's just like you're only going to see it from the biggest studios because it's going to be incredibly expensive to execute, essentially. Well, yeah, and also if, as I said, like at the moment I don't think the the hardware is – I mean you, you couldn't just chuck an LLM onto a PS5 right now, right? Like it would need to have some – you'd think some kind of like bespoke chip for running inference or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Or, as you say, like it's got to be connected to the internet at incredibly quick – um, response time to do inference to some kind of server, which I don't even know. I guess you, um, that infrastructure might exist. Yeah, but potentially. I don't know. It's just like, but I imagine we'll see movement of this over the next few years. We'll see this far more than we will see there. Yeah, to- for, total, at least for, the, for the, the near future. Anyway, good question. 
This question is from Eleanor. How would the world be different if Nokia or Ericsson had cracked the good smartphone nut before Apple did? If they nutted before Apple? Yeah, exactly. If they nutted before Apple. I think that this is, it was predestined to turn out the way that it did. Like there is no, there's no hinge point where Nokia is what or Ericsson is what Apple is because I think it became pretty clear that they're telecommunications company operating in a telecommunications environment and there was a very brief window where we wanted to take a phone and then make it portable. What we actually wanted was a computer that was miniaturized and port. Like we wanted a miniaturized computer and the companies that we're good at making computers small, uh, the ones that were going yeah, to because, that, like, you needed the decades of software experience. Yeah, that, that was, it was literally, like, a, a software versus hardware thing. Nokia and Sony Ericsson and, like, Motorola, name whoever, these were, like, hardware companies. They could build telecommunications hardware. Mm. They were good at that. They were um, good at receiving signals. Yeah, they, they could miniaturize the technology to a certain degree. Like, they had that, mm. that hardware level. But at no point were any of these companies particularly good at software. And that was basically the magic little thing that made Apple work. Um, even like, you know, BlackBerry, the reason that BlackBerry became popular is because they were really good at basically the server infrastructure side of things. Yeah. They made it much more da- less data intensive to receive email on yeah, a phone. send and receive emails. It was easier to send and receive emails. Yeah. So that was kind of like software, but it was like a different kind of software. Mm-hmm. And then Apple, which had obviously 20 years of design and software experience, came in and were like, actually what people want, as you said, was like, we wanted a miniature computer. Um, they were well-placed to make that. And obviously Apple had great hardware experience and now they are like as good as it gets when it comes to like building hardware. Mm. But it was just no universe where Nokia could compete with that no um which is why now they have made a fairly successful pivot into doing like telecommunications hardware and Mm. mobile broadcast towers and shit yeah Um, yeah. because like that was always what they were good at same as sony erickson they're the competitors to huawei and you know yeah totally good time to be a competitor to huawei so yeah no there's not you needed the the software uh, marrying the software and hardware, which like, requires the only thing decades. I think it says, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'd have physical keyboards longer, le- <laughs> longer than we did. But, like, yeah, it's just very hard to imagine them actually pulling that off because they were just, as institutions, like, in- incapable of doing it, essentially. Cool. Um, this one's from X Nearlo on uh, Twitter. AI girlfriends, yay or nay? What are we saying yes or no to in this uh, context? I guess the concept of AIGFs. I know, they seem to already exist. Do we talk about the, what's the company called? Replica. Re- yeah, Replica thing on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I, think, I think we did at some point. You get a digital companion, yeah. AI companion, which I'm pretty sure it was GPT-based. Mm. Or at least I think they, they, they originally they were working with OpenAI and they started like building their own models. Apparently, some of the stuff they used was a little bit of Google, but yeah, it was basically like OpenAI-based. Yeah, but it was basically... Yeah, you could just talk to this weird little 3D avatar, like Second Life, you sort of avatar, and it had mm. LLM generated things. But the point is, that, like, people started using it to like they would sex with their replica, and then they would develop deep emotional bonds with them, one-sided, obviously. And then uh, replica took the functionality away to sex with your mm. AI girlfriend, and it caused all these guys. I don't want to say anything about these these gentlemen. The subreddit was blowing up with uh, the most interesting people in the world. Yeah, some, some some interesting characters. I imagine this stuff is going to become like way more ingrained. But I look, I think there's just like a real there's a small section of the population who are like <laughs> I'm going to sound like a piece of shit here, but you know, 
kind of antisocial, low functioning. No, let's be, be honest here though. There's a loneliness epidemic. Yeah, totally. And the, but like, the, the world is not making us any kind of more social and communal. But yes, there are, and there are certain people who like are still going to crave the same things that humans crave, which is like bonds and interpersonal relationships and whatnot. But they don't have any of the social ability to fulfill them. Yeah. And you know, here is this thing that you're able to like talk and get responses from or whatever. I don't know if there's going to be like if the market is going to widen much beyond like that core constituency. Mm. But as LLMs get better and better, and like the open source stuff takes off, where companies can launch these bots that don't have the guardrails or something like OpenAI. And I'm not just talking about like sex stuff, but like any sort of like weird emotional stuff that OpenAI is like, we want no part of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I imagine it's going to become a bigger, in the sense of like, yeah or nay, do I endorse this kind of thing? No. Probably not. I think it's not that great. But <laughs> is no, it going to be? I, I think it's completely inevitable. Yeah. That, okay, the boyfriend, girlfriend, like in those words, like, yes, there'll be that kind of subsection. But I think that once we have much more personalized AI assistants that know our routines and like we're asking, hey, draft me an email, uh, send an email to James saying that, hey, we should think about doing this topic for downround and reference a couple of these articles and it sends it off and then it's saying like oh you know reminding me to pick up the kids and blah 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 blah. we're humans someone talking to us like with words we're going to start to anthropomorphize it you know what i mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to talk to it like a person not like a computer yeah. um so like i think that's kind of inevitable you know in whatsapp right now you can now whatsapp yourself and they're talking about putting ai in there and you'll basically have a personal assistant by whatsapping yourself blah 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 blah, blah. as we start like talking to ai more it's very hard as humans to not start to like talk to them like a person mm. and say thanks. Like it's hard not to say thanks when someone does something for you. So like this weird shit will happen. That's your thesis? Is that our, our innate desire to say thank you to the bus driver? Yeah. He's going to like That's, that's good though. That's good, right? These are all good things, saying thank you to the bus driver. But then, yeah, saying thank you to the bot – yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I imagine this stuff's going to become far, far, far more ingrained. So I think yes, it's going to happen. Is it good? Of course not. Is anything we talk about good? Questionable, <laughs> but we're always right. Question from Ruby: Can you speculate on the future of crypto had its day or primed for a comeback? This is a good question because we we probably should do like a another crypto. Or what's NF- up with crypto episode or NFT thing on NFTs? Yeah. We should do an NFT. Now's the time. <laughs> To get all it. Do you see the Jack Dorsey tweet or whatever is like valued at two bucks? Not the one he paid two million dollars for. The what? first tweet of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two bucks. Yeah, it sold for three point nine. Yeah, well, great stuff. Um, uh, future of crypto. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of hard to say. I don't think it's. Well, I don't think it's going to go away. I don't think it's having no. a stake. Like Bitcoin, even once the crypto winter hit and all of the mainstream interest in crypto collapsed, completely vanished. Meanwhile inflation's been raging, all of like the economic headwinds that people thought would benefit crypto have not mm. in any sense. But, you know, if you, you look, the, the Bitcoin still pings around, people are still trading it, talking yeah, about it. Yeah, it's, its price has held up relatively well given like the, I mean, the swath of, like every, every negative thing that could happen to crypto kind of has with FTX imploding, blah, blah, blah. I know there's... It's questionable the liquidity of Bitcoin, and like I'm sure there are definitely um, yeah, yeah, yeah. invested actors or whatever who you know have incentives to support that price. Blah 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 blah. But regardless, Bitcoin itself's price has held up relatively well, so there does seem to be some you know lasting. Yeah, as you say, it's going to be around. It'll be around. Like one thing I'm incredibly not bullish on is like the 
any bit of like culture around crypto, the Web3 stuff, yeah. has just like it, been obliterated. It really does feel like, I know this is an overused term now, but like a fever dream, that period. When 100%. like when Paris Hilton and Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon was probably peak, like a, absolute peak yeah. of, of this, but like celebrities talking about their like NFT monkeys and whatnot. Yeah, that's just like, the, like the, that just ha- came and went. Yeah, that was so demented. <laughs> like <laughs> that was so demented. Like and how did that happen? And that was only a couple of years, but it, it feels like a hallucination. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like and like even now when you're on Twitter or whatever. It's almost like quaint when you see like a NFT profile picture guy. Yeah. Like they're around and you see them. Yeah, yeah. But there was a period where it was like and part of it, I don't know, was the algorithm probably feeding itself from some of the feedback or whatever they got. Mm. But like that's all you would see is like a guy with this fucked up like paddle pop lion looking yeah, yeah. Um, thing. Thanks, but he, he, he could be he may have paid eighty thousand dollars for. <laughs> yeah. And then he was parading that around. Yeah. <laughs> And there's like this weird status flex thing and just like that community where it's like everything's about community now. We're building the future and it's decentralized. We're creating like the rival to Disney, which is I guess like Board 8 Yacht Club and those other things. Yeah. I think real heads will know that the, the proto down around was that I went on the meeting tree once yeah. for like a tech episode. Yeah. And we talked a lot about NFTs. Yeah, yeah, because it was, it was kind it was, of It was right in the middle of it and yeah. it was like the topic on everyone's, on everyone's lips trying to get their head around what was going on there. Mm. All that stuff is kind of just like evaporated. It turned out to be just like the froth on top of a, bo- a market that was booming for whatever reason. Well, for the end product of zero interest rates. Totally. Like people were looking for a return somewhere and then like a lot of early people got them and then they built like this froth of culture and excitement. Uh, and there's a joke, obviously, and we've, we've made it ourselves multiple times, that like the pivot to AI was just immediate. Mm. And a lot of these guys that were big crypto heads – have moved on to like working on AI stuff. It's also funny to see there's a lot of like um, those like digital publications that popped up to cover like Web3 and shit Mm. have just become AI publications. It's just so blatant. But I think it was just interesting that so much like genuine talent, like people who were smart people, spent so long working on this shit. And some of it you can see why because like, you know, Say what you will about the blockchain and decentralized. It's an interesting problem. Interesting thing that you're trying to do. And like the problems you're trying to fix are problems. Mm. Like the issues that exist with social media and, you know, having big tech companies control essentially the terrain of how the internet works. And like the kind of peer-to-peer trust you know, without Tr- like trustless a, stuff, and yeah, it's it's, it's interesting even, stuff. Even before, and then obviously, on you got like the more like paranoid shit on the one end about the Federal Reserve, <laughs> yeah, 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 central banking stuff, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't indulge that too much. But the rest of the stuff, these are real problems that you had an idea of how to fix. Mm. And a lot of people poured essentially two to three years of their lives into this, mm. more so in some cases, into building a yeah DAO or whatever. Yeah, and it's just like it's amounted to nothing. So I don't know where it goes. Yeah. I mean, the big question obviously is like, is it going to come back again? Because like we've had, obviously, crypto has had multiple crashes yeah. and multiple psychos, and it, mu- it, multiple cycles. And psychos, yeah. And uh, psychos. Um, but, um, it will. It will. But it, I feel like it, the if you got burnt during like a crypto downturn, you're unlikely to go back in again, right? And yeah, especially size, if you're a normal person. If yeah. You're, yeah, if you're a normal person, like once bitten, twice shy. And the scale of the probably, A, people getting hurt, and B, the, like, 
publicity around the scam side of things means that it'll be even tougher to rebound. But stranger things have happened. Yeah, I think the thing that will bring it back for its next run will be the thing that Sam Altman is trying to get off the ground, like the world coin thing. I don't know if it's specifically his world coin project that will do it, but this whole idea about it's very hard to verify authenticity online now because of all the AI shit that exists. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to, like, find that basically have a understandable, legible digital signature of stuff that was made by a human as opposed to not. Yeah. Maybe the blockchain can play a role there. I'm not saying that it will. I just, like, think that would be one of the things that drives the next crypto craze. We'll be like, they'll bring back that NFT seal of authenticity kind of vibe. Yeah. Except the goal will not be, I won't need to prove that I own this fucked up looking ape with a uh, blunt hanging out of his mouth and like a, a propeller hat. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's that I signed like, that document. It's more that I made, like I own this thing. Yeah, yeah. And like I produced it and whatever. I think that'll be where it comes from. But. Maybe. But at the end of the day people who are better placed to kind of integrate something like that around identity are like Apple and Google again literally well, and Meta mm-hmm. cool question from Adrian have we reached peak big phone or can phones get bigger hmm. will there be a return to the days of the smaller the phone the cooler you are <laughs> I think maybe the phone form and we did like our smartphone episode or whatever exists the way it does is because they've become like content consumption and creation machine since the iphone they haven't really changed no like they removed a button yeah yeah but like and they've gotten bigger yeah yeah, yeah but big screens because people like to watch stuff on yeah. them now people like to read articles blah 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 i mean they can't get much bigger because like they're really butting they sh- up against the size of the human pocket <laughs> you know <laughs> unless everyone starts wearing those like billowy jorts well it might happen Cargo pants. Well, actually, you know, jorts are back. Like, the kids are wearing jorts. Pants, yeah, yeah. yeah, Maybe the phones can get bigger with that. But some of those, set, like the Galaxy Notes or whatever, that kind of thing. Well, like Fab- flip, flip, phablets. Fold, phablets, true. Yeah. But folding phones and stuff are like a way to well, that was try the, and create more screen. That was right? a way of like, yeah, how can we have more screen? Also capture a bit of that retro vibe of like, remember when you had a Motorola Razor or whatever. But the thing was like, how do we fit a tablet-sized screen into something that can go into your yeah. pocket. And then it's got a... For people who haven't seen them, a lot of them, they look kind of like an iPhone or whatever, but then with the screen on the outside, but then you can fold them and then it's a double screen, blah, blah, blah. That said, Google just cancelled theirs because it just broke constantly. Well, they, Even the review copies they sent out, people were like, yeah, it was kind of great for like a day and a half and then the screen just broke. Yeah, I just think they look fucked. Like the Samsung ones with like the big nasty crease down the middle and shit. Mm. It's just like, what are you doing? Anyway. I like the idea of a folding phone. I do like the idea of it. And I have seen people who have them, like it's good for taking kind of meetings or whatever, because you can just put it on the table and fold half of it up. And then the more looks like a laptop and it's like, I like the idea. And I like us playing, like I like us experimenting in this space. No, I think it's cool to like try to get out of And like bendy screens is kind of fun. Like it's just a cool idea. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. However, like Are they going to get bigger or smaller? Yeah, the future is probably not. I think they're going to stay basically as they are. As I said, they've perfected it until we move on to this more kind of less input-based system. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, the only reason we get smaller again is if, like, we really lean into, like, that you have, like, a little tiny thing that connects to your AirPods or something and it's all voice-controlled and AI-driven or whatever. And even that, it's like, I don't know. Is that going to work? Because, like, people have really train themselves to like enjoy watching Netflix on their phone on the train and shit. Well, you're still going to need a screen of some sort. So until we get to AR, you need a phone. It's just that like 
you more and more, I think, will lean on satellite devices like your watch and AirPods and like, yeah, your personal assistant predicting things for you and you just confirming or whatever it is, rather than actually having to input things. Yep. So, which is when it'll get smaller. And yes, the coolest people will have the smallest version of that. Yep. They already do, maybe. I don't know any of them. We'll do two more and then we'll we'll wrap up until our next Q&A episode. Uh, this one's from Grimmers on Twitter. How are Coles and Woolies getting away with this self-checkout Panopticon bullshit? <laughs> what happens next? That's a good question. Yeah, it sucks. Well, I mean, does it suck? I, I, I get the Panopticon thing, like, but we lost that war a long time ago. Like, we're being filmed absolutely everywhere we go. People put friggin' cameras on their doorbells that sorry, ring doorbells and whatever that the cops can just access the data from your, like, friggin' yep. ring doorbell without asking you. That stuff's all great. As far as the Panopticon of self-check, like, service checkout, revealed behavior is that people don't like to talk to other people, strangers especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the thing that pisses me off about it is it's like there's a Woolies around the corner from my house, which is, like, a new build, and... It only has it has one lane of classic checkouts mm. and then like 15 self-checkouts, right? Yeah. So even if you wanted to use the, the lane, your, your options are pretty limited. And you're right. Like people, as much as people complain about them and whatever, that's what people want. They want to be able to like scan through their six Toblerones <laughs> and not be not be judged by Except a 16-year-old. Who, no offense and like solidarity and everything, but like the guy who was like, you think like raising the minimum wage like twenty dollars or whatever? This is all that twenty dollars will get you. And he posted like a three liter thing of Milo. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, but well, the thing the thing that pisses me off though is that it's like they've gone onto this system a because you know I guess it saves them labor to a certain extent. They can they must have run the numbers. I always actually think of this, and I'm like. Fuck, there's a big capital expenditure for those machines. People are definitely stealing, but it still must beat paying someone 18 bucks an hour. Yeah. So like- I surrender myself to the fact that I'm being filmed at all fucking times. But I just hate how they, like, continue to turn the screws on, like, the customer experience of it. Like, in terms of the minute variations in terms of the weight, the weighing. Like, it's always screaming at you, you need a checkout assistant. Yeah. And there's never anyone there because they haven't budgeted for, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. more than one person to be there. Yeah. So you're just standing there like a moron. Yeah. And, like, if you're going to, like, surveil me and, like, have this in, like this, these AI systems tracking, yeah. you know, exactly how much broccoli I'm scanning through or whatever, at the very least make it, like, relatively seamless. Yeah. But That's I, all I, I want. The future is obviously more delivery and even less interaction with people that you don't know. Yeah, and, and why would you? Stick to your family, you know? That's right. Stay indoors. Stay on your devices. Yeah. You know, get everything delivered. Don't play golf. Don't get out there into the, the great... No, well, we must destroy the golf courses apparently so that everyone can stay inside and be miserable like me. Yeah. Well, look, you know, even if you take a tech optimist view and say technology improves, it's going to improve life immeasurably or whatever... In some areas, like uh, supermarket checkout, life just it gets shitter from here on out. It's never going to get better. Yeah, okay. And to, to wrap it up, the last question from Luke on Twitter. What's your favorite button? Mm, what uh, a great question. And he asked the question two more times. He said, what's your favorite button? And then come on, what's your favorite button to press? <laughs> well, his is obviously send. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Off. No, so that's such a lame answer. What's your favorite button? Um, so I'm actually going to go white out and say that I like a nice big tactile button of the kind you might find in like an old oven. 
Oh yeah, like or like a stereo system or something. You know, like a, like that. Actually, that's right. With a nice click. The, to cl- it. the, the, cl- the click and stick in ones from old stereo systems, mm. right? Maybe you get a little red light. Maybe not. They but are. It's, they but are it's very got, satisfying, especially if it's kind of concave, like a concave button that you can press and it'll go. Yeah, yeah. And and kind of stick, but it's it's in further than when you originally pressed it, and yeah, a little red LED comes on, and then again. Yeah. And it's off. It's out. Ooh, that's that satisfying. That's right. And you just know, fifty years from now, it'll have a very similar response. Mm. I'm anti putting touchscreens on shit that doesn't need it. Oh, definitely. That actually is something that I know we haven't done it. We haven't done it again for a while. A um, the down round. What are we mad the, at? The, the rant zone. The rant zone. <laughs> well, we did one of them. <laughs> I think it was like our fifth episode. <laughs> but yeah, like touchscreens on devices that don't need them, which is most devices, absolutely get my goat. Yeah, totally. Mm. Touchscreens are mostly bad. Yeah, like, they're, they're usually bad. It's usually the worst option yeah. other than on a device that needs to like sometimes have buttons there and sometimes not have buttons there. Yeah, totally. If you've got a button that is always the same button, it shouldn't be touched. Give me the click. Yeah. I need to click it. I get the Tesla thing because that's like part of their whole identity. There's like everything about your car is on the screen. Mm. But in their effort to like clone Tesla – which is already like highly annoying. Like the fact you have to go into a menu to do oh, to a, turn up a basic the aircon or whatever is is insane. But like, at least Tesla think about it in a relatively deep way. Whereas I feel like a lot of these car systems go touchscreen with like not that great software developers, and it's like, what are, what are we doing here? Yeah, just give me give me a big meaty button on the side of the. I want wheel. a knob. Yeah, I want an, I want a damn knob. Yeah, give me a knob. <laughs> give me a knob. Big knob. More knobs, buttons, switches. Well, I do have to say the one. <laughs> that is one thing that's quite delightful about the Apple Watch is, you know, the little the, the wheel, crown. Yeah, the yeah, crown, yeah. like twisting more of that. Yeah. Let's have more just things that you can kind of twist and push. Yeah, I mean, yeah what, what's that? Th- what do they call the the toy that kids have? The fidget spinner? No, not the fidget spinner. Well, again, you know, there was a reason the fidget spinner went so big and made a bunch of e-commerce, like 15-year-old e-commerce entrepreneurs very wealthy. <laughs> Is because people just love a little thing to flick and whiz about. Yeah. Just give us more of that. You know, yeah. Apple. Yeah, a little like a winch. <clears throat> I'd do that. Yeah, like, like winch, a winch-based system. <laughs> I like that. Imagine if you had to like t- crank a winch to send a Slack message. Oh, yeah. How, how would that Something change? would be better. How if may- you had to winch to tweet. Yeah, and like it comes through like a letter at a time. Yeah. Like it goes <laughs> as you're going. Tell me one downside. I, I can't think of any. Don't have a single one. Welcome to Down Round, the podcast about tech business and culture. I'm your host, James Hennessy, and this is my co-host, Ralph Dixon. I hate to do the sales pitch straight out the gate, but this is so important. For just $7 a month, you can get two episodes a week of incredible tech analysis. We may not take ourselves too seriously, but the analysis is second to none. You could literally run an investment fund off the advice we give. The alpha is limitless. Why wouldn't you pay seven bucks? You're leaving money on the table.